0: This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. To prepare for your own personal and perhaps public displays of celebration for the new year, we thought we'd inject a little bit of unadulterated floral and foliage fun into your listening week. Joshua Werber is a floral designer and creative based in Brooklyn, New York. He's perhaps most well-known for his floral tete-a-tete adventures and images. Drawing from the natural world, Josh's work is an exploration of emotion through the act of creation. His lush aesthetic and sculptural approach to flowers playfully ornament and engage with the interior or exterior landscapes. Designing provides him with the opportunity to intuitively trust, feel, and to allow the material to guide its own creation, His work is driven by a desire to create unique environments through which participants can experience transformation. He currently lives in Brooklyn with his rescue puppy, Delilah. He joins us today via Skype. Welcome, Josh.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I really want to get started with you describing for listeners, especially because I'm, I'm guessing that there are a lot of listeners who are not familiar with your work, and then another really healthy size of audience who are. I want you to describe very visually what you do um, in, in your professional work and in your kind of private play with flowers and gardening, and then describe what is floral tête-à-tête.
1: Okay, well, (laughs) I consider myself a gardener first. And I use that fascination of nature and love of plants to guide this weekly practice. About five years ago, when I was challenged to a weekly headpiece competition on Instagram. And it is a floral headpiece competition. I create these elaborate floral headdresses.
0: Do you have a garden there in Brooklyn?
1: I do. I have a front garden and a small back garden.
0: And do you garden there kind of year round in terms of cutting things or being inspired by materials throughout the seasons?
1: Yes, it's very important for me that gardens are multi-seasonal and that there's year-round interest, if not for cutting, then just for visual stimulation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm working mostly with the contain- within containers right now mm-hmm. in this garden. Um, I have another garden at my parents' house on Long Island, which is on a third of an acre, and that's sort of divided up into garden rooms, and it's much more of a traditional garden
0: yeah and so you are a floral designer and five years ago on instagram you were challenged to this this floral headpiece competition what when when I even say the word floral headpiece describe what what you mean by the word headpiece
1: any sort of adornment Um, it could be a headband fascinator, um, or it could be more of an actual hat, but it can, any sort of botanical adornment that sits on the head.
0: And so five years ago, who challenged you to this?
1: So I was at a workshop, um, which was part of the seasonal bouquet project. And I met a woman named Kamiko Matsura and we had a... Bonding moment with flower crowns. And a few weeks later, she saw on Instagram I had dressed up, if you're familiar with this book by Hans Sylvester, Natural Fashion. It chronicles these tribes in Ethiopia by the Omo Valley River, and they do these incredible botanical adornments. And so she saw this on Instagram and challenged me to a weekly headpiece competition. And we set up that the rules would be that it had to stay on your head when you jumped up and down, and that we were going to post on Thursdays, and and that was it.
0: And so that began. So you were already an active floral designer, doing doing events or or, or budding, but yes. Mm-hmm. And this challenge gave this very unique kind of focus to to your work. How long did it go on as a weekly practice? And, and describe a little bit where that has led you to date with your current work.
1: The challenge changed everything. It started me um, on this weekly practice. And the just the act of having a weekly practice was life-changing. Before I started, this, I was kind of jumping around a bit. I hadn't really stuck to anything for more than a year or so. And weekly practice was kind of the first thing I stuck to consistently every week for years. And that consistency in holding myself accountable and putting my work out there consistently, eventually, after a couple of years, really paid off.
0: Yeah, because it it really, it's the identity you're known for now.
1: Like you had said earlier... They, I'm shouldn't say this, but most people when they meet me in, in person, they're surprised that I'm not having I'm not wearing flowers on my head. <laughs>
0: That's great. So let's step back a little bit, and I want to hear about your earliest influences that that led you to being first a gardener at at heart, and and you know at your most basic being a gardener, and then. What drove you towards being a floral designer that then eventually found your feet in this particular way?
1: so my mother is a biologist and was a science teacher when I was growing up so that is was a huge influence on me in terms of plants and she was always pointing out what was growing on the side of the road when we would take road trips and mosses and lichens and uh, just you know pointing out natural wonders and Mm. my father is an architect by trade and a designer so we would always take these you know family trips to visit gardens and estates and interesting buildings and locations that I would you know as kids we would dread and now I drag people to visit the same places and basically so that that was sort of ingrained in me and when uh, I was 15 these um, this white pine fell on my parents' house when, during a, a, windstorm and I took on the project of sort of re-landscaping the backyard. And before that, I was really, was really into Martha. Uh, I was collecting Martha Stewart living and reading all about gardens and I would watch, uh, the Victory Garden on Channel 13 mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> I didn't have cable growing up. I was deprived, so I watched a lot of PBS and a lot of things that I learned how to do, like cooking and gardening, I learned on PBS. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, So, yeah, I would read bulb catalogs and seed catalogs and, and just would... You know, there are certain things that uh, I can remember for some reason, and a lot of things I cannot, but one of those things is plant names and and... And yeah, so that's that's sort of how I got into it. And then um, I took a little, um, I guess, mental health sabbatical um, <laughs> from New York, um, and I moved to South Utah for a few months, I moved to this artist community uh, in South Utah. And my plan there was that I was going to go there and paint, and, um, and I found painting to be really painful and tedious, but they have a ceramic studio, um, in this little artist village. And I found myself in this ceramic studio for hours and hours and hours every day and was doing ceramic sculpture. Mm -hmm. And it was all about like building these natural abstract forms. And it was sort of a combination of the act of construction and then deconstruction carving away at what I had built up and I like to work sort of big and gestural, and clay sort of allowed me to work kind of fast and big and three dimensionally. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, so um, I was my cousin's. I was at my cousin's wedding, and there's um, a florist in New York called Saipua who I'm sure guests on this podcast have mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd seen their work. And it's like, Whoa, what is this? Uh, I need to, I need to do this. I need to know more about this. Mm-hmm. So, um, I signed up for uh, a workshop, which, um, you know, flower workshops are, are really a thing these days. They were just sort of starting out years back, you know, and was doing a couple of those.
0: About how old were you when you were, um, or how many years ago was it when you were in the Utah artist's experience?
1: Uh, so that was 2009.
0: And so that that seems like it was a really tr- kind of um, – really informative experience in terms of letting you know that you were really creative, but you also needed to be really tactile and a little bit more immediate in, in what your creativity was going to create. Am I right in that?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the other part of, of what I would say about working with flowers is that I was able to do, it was similar to working with clay in that I could create these forms and then sort of carve away at them. And it was about making shapes and, mm-hmm. and, and, And sort of the same sort of sculptural techniques.
0: Yeah. And now your floral business and work uh, in in the New York area and and perhaps further afield than that does involve some combination of the floral tête-à-tête and floral design for events. Is that correct?
1: That is correct.
0: So describe what what we're talking about when we say this. Like de- describe a recent event at which you put your floral tete a tete, both skills and beauty and fun to work.
1: I've been doing a couple of these client dinners for companies where the guests have each been getting headpieces, and it's been part of the um, sort of it's been part of the table setting and. Um, as guests sit down to their meals, they adorn themselves with, with headpieces, and it's been a really fun uh, way to start off an event.
0: So, describe your most recent one. How many guests? How how long in advance did you have to start making your your floral headpieces? What materials did you use? Walk us through the details of that because it so sounds fun to me. And I can just imagine, you know, even a two person New Year's Eve dinner having floral headpieces be part of the the beauty and the play.
1: So the most that they've done is 75, but for this dinner, there were only 26, actually. Okay. And but the, the amount of detail that went into these was. Was probably more than any that I'd ever made before. Wow. Um, it was for a fashion company, and I wanted, uh, I wanted to take it to the next level and make sure that it was that the work was impeccable and up to the standards of the brand. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun because I uh, used the collection as inspiration. And for something like that, I was I work with the client to create a cohesive look that meets the needs of what they're trying to accomplish for their dinner. But a lot of it is sort of playing off of of details. Um, and some of it is 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 looking at plants and the materials as you know the sums of their parts and thinking about, um, you know, Things that's that have a little bit of a sparkle or things that maybe look like like buds that maybe look like pearls or Mm. berries that look like pearls and um, sort of playing off of different colors and using um, using different colors and textures as inspiration for different plant materials, um, ruffles or pleats or, you know, um, just smooth, elegant uh, drapes. And things things that have have different textures to them. That's that's sort of the the inspiration point. And then I'll look for things at the market that sort of are in keeping with those the feeling of what I'm looking for, mm-hmm. and and then start wiring away.
0: So, describe one one that you made. What what flowers were in it, and what ultimate shape? Because I, when I think. And And I know this is not completely true, but when I think of a Josh Werber floral tete a tete sculpture uh, adorning your head or or anyone's, it is it's got this wonderful kind of height to it and um often has a little bit of a a, a thirds offset. Pyramid kind of shape, but but I know that's not always true because I've seen thousands of yours. Well, um, you
1: hit the nail on the head for this one. Uh, <laughs> that, that's um, they all had a similar shape um, for this dinner. Um, for the for the seventy five, they were they had been all completely different, um, and for this one, they were all pretty much the same shape because mm-hmm. um, it was they they wanted each one to be sort of more along the same lines of each other.
0: Okay. And so,
1: Um, yeah. What were
0: the flowers in these? So the flowers were
1: a combination. They were mostly pastels, uh, lady slipper orchids, and cymbidium orchids, and uh, different types of dianthus, and hellebores, and enthymium, and tallowberries, and astrantia, and uh, what else? Um, Yeah, there was there were a lot of flowers in these. Lots of kale. The kale was actually my favorite. There was this incredible textural kale. The leaves are like cut, the cut leaves. Anyway, they were very like just textured and, and um, frilly. They were just really frilly. And, and a lot of the work is, is um, construction and deconstruction. So taking apart all of the little leaves off the kale and then these kale flowers, I should say. Um, flowers in quotes, decorative kale, Um, those rosettes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so taking each of those little leaflets off and wiring them and then creating little clusters of, of um, lacy, lacy was the word I was looking for of lacy little florets. And um, for this, they were all sort of um, arcing over the head in um, asymmetrical um, swoops, mm. if you will.
0: Yeah, so I'm seeing a variety of greens, some some dark greens, and then some. If it's sort of the ornamental kale, cabbagey thing, rosettes. It's, it's, oh, so they
1: were all those. Those are all pink, actually. These whites,
0: yeah, whites and, and pinks, and so there does there. There's almost like a little frosty pink feel with the white. Edging mm-hmm. is that is that accurate? Yeah, Yes. And so, you do you start with the base of say a woman's headband?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, most of the time, yes.
0: And then you wire each piece and attach it to the headband.
1: Mm-hmm. Do Sometimes y- I'll have a wire attached to the headband, and then all of the flowers then get attached to that wire.
0: And how and do directly th- to the. And how do they get attached to that wire? Is that glue gun, or is that more wire? No,
1: it's with um, um, it's called floral wrap.
0: Oh, okay. um, Like what I would make a boutonniere with that green. Exactly. Yeah, that tape. Okay,
1: Mm -hmm. and it comes in all sorts of colors. It comes in the whole rainbow of colors.
0: Who knew that? I always thought it just Mm -hmm. came in the green. And so then you create one, and you have your kind of prototype how how far in advance for the evening of 26 guests did you have to start making your headpieces so that they were all ready?
1: Well, so because they're all fresh flowers, right. a lot of the materials have to be wired like right the last minute um, or the day before. is sort of okay. the... Um, but then there are other sort of preparations that can take place beforehand. So some of the pearls and some of the more hardier materials could be done... More in advance, yeah. But worked on that for about four days.
0: Four days. And so then you – do you keep them in a cooler? How do you transport them? Yeah,
1: they stay in the refrigerator. Okay. And they get transported on on foam rollers, actually.
0: So – you just sort of slip the headpiece over the roller and then you can carry quite a few lined up mm-hmm. on a roller. Exactly. And then yes. when I saw the tablescape in a, or I've seen one of your tablescapes in a photo, do the headpieces actually sort of stand in for the floral table arrangements? Yes.
1: And then the guests become the floral right. arrangements.
0: Right. <laughs> I like that idea of uh, of myself and or my guests and or being a guest who was a floral arrangement. That's really, that kind of captures the essence of floral tete-a-tete, Josh.
1: It does, indeed. It started out as a conversation between two people, which was a -a tete-a-tete. And now the conversation has gotten much larger.
0: Josh Werber is the creator of Floral Tete-a-Tete, a focus in his design journey born after attending a workshop of the seasonal bouquet project with Kumiko Matsura, who challenged Josh to a weekly headpiece competition. Originating as an Instagram collaboration between Josh and Kumiko, it blossomed into a solo exhibition at the Botaniska Tradgarden in Gothenburg, Sweden. Josh works on various commissions for events and derbies, and his weekly practice, Floral Tete-a-Tete, is now in its third year. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break to hear more. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're back from a break to hear more about Josh Werber's floral design creative journey and his floral tete-a-tete work and play. Welcome back. When you are are looking at this work and, and how you do it and where it's sort of leading you at this point, what are your hopes for this kind of, of work in the world? It's it's creativity, it's playfulness, it's sculptural and but ephemeral elements.
1: You know, I'm I'm just amazed at where it's taken me so far mm-hmm. and excited to see where things go. I'm excited to continue with some of these dinners and to continue teaching.
0: When I think about your work, and for the very reason that I invited you to be a guest at this time of year, it is such a wonderful merging and interweaving of both the floral beauty that we we see in this world and that we it, that taps into something for, for all of us who are floral or plant people. There is this wonderful positive energy refilling of our souls. But so much of it can also be a little bit pretentious. It can be a little bit like, is this as good as that? It's a little bit staged, and but in an, in an earnest way, in a serious way. And there's something about the work that you are doing which I think you will agree has tapped a nerve for a lot of people in that it does not ask to be taken too seriously. And yet it also checks off all of these boxes of hands-on experience, connection to nature and, and beauty, but it's also just plain fun.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think the fact that I'm the photographer and the model also yeah. <laughs> <laughs> helps <laughs> helps with that, um, which started as just sort of a kind of a necessity in the beginning, because the project was all about creating the headpiece mm-hmm. and photographing. It was sort of a secondary part, but in today's world, if, if you don't photograph it, does it exist?
0: Right. So, true. or did
1: it exist? I should say. So,
0: and the answer so is that, yes. By the way, it does, <laughs> and it did. But yes, that's hard to see sometimes.
1: But did, nobody liked it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So that was that was. Um, it just became easier, you know, just for me to just you know put it on myself and photograph and just selfie selfie it up. Um, and I also was making them for myself. So yeah, you know why 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 put it on somebody else to photograph.
0: So and in the beginning, uh,
1: but yeah, it was I, I do hope to bring a sense of 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 playfulness to it, of course.
0: Yeah. And in the beginning, um, were there? I'm guessing that you worked on each piece to the point where you were like, ah, that's it. But in especially maybe those first few years of doing it, were there ones that you can still look back on and say that was that was one of my favorites?
1: They're definitely our favorites. The interesting thing about having a weekly practice like that is that you have the, the things to look back on and to see the growth, mm-hmm. like you have tangible evidence of growth. And sometimes when you don't necessarily feel that, you, you can sort of look at it. Um, but, you know, I, I when I had when I first started I thought oh this I'm, this is these are amazing and then you know after about six months I would look back at the other ones and' I'd be like oh now these are good like those those were all you know garbage now I like really know <laughs> them too. and then you know like a year where, and then it's like oh that was all garbage now I really know you know so it kind of is that that cycle um a little bit but there's yeah there are definitely some for me one thing that I've sort of from from my earliest artistic uh, endeavors, I've always struggled with making things look the way they look in my head. That mm-hmm. that um, bringing the idea into fruition, and I there is some wiggle room always, you know, to allow for change or for a better idea to come to come through. But mm-hmm. when I can really get it to look like it looks in my head, that's when it's exciting for me.
0: Yeah, and that's that's kind of the ultimate dilemma of the creative gesture is actually translating it from your creative inner eye into the real world, whether that's writing, painting, sculpting, or floral design. Exactly. So... I want to get back to some of the tangible, no, the the logistics of managing this kind of work at an event or a table. When you're doing a dinner for 75 people, do you have to Spray them. I mean, because when when someone's setting a a, an event for seventy five people, the table is set hours in advance of the people arriving and the food getting there. How do you manage making sure they stay fresh and lovely until the guests sit down?
1: That's the challenge. I mean, that's really the that's the challenge of the whole operation. Mm -hmm. Um, It a lot of it starts with material selection. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, A lot of you know, I'm, I'm. I do a lot of testing and there's been a lot of trial and error um, to see what is long lasting. So Mm -hmm. I start with that. Um, There are floral preservatives that I do use for something like that for an event like that. I I would use a quick dip, um, Mm -hmm. which helps um, hydrate the flowers. And then there's sprays like crown and glory that you can spray on the flowers afterwards. Um, A lot of it is just like, is water and, and, um, keeping things in plastic and cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it is temperature.
0: Yep.
1: Um, but yeah, no, that's absolutely the challenge. And part of the logistics is figuring out what needs to be, what's, what lasts the longest and what can be done the furthest in advance and what needs to be done absolutely last minute. Cause it's just going to last for a few hours and, and that's it. But I think what's so special about the work is that it is ephemeral, and it yeah. does only last for a few hours. And I think that's what makes it kind of – makes it more fun in a way.
0: Yeah. Do you – so when um, people put them on their head, how do you make the, the, the headband itself or, or whatever it is that's sitting on the head, how do you make that comfortable so that wire and whatever doesn't jab you in the head, Josh?
1: who said anything about comfort
0: <laughs> uh, well it is fashion no, um,
1: <laughs> every uh, everything is wrapped and and you know uh, everyone is protected so that nothing is nothing sharp is is sticking out it's all it's all wrapped and, and
0: and does you wrap in tape or do you wrap in like velvet ribbon or or do you do it differently each time
1: it's it's mostly in the in the in tape
0: okay and I think you've answered this to some extent because you, you've talked about like doing the trial and error uh, you know, work as you, as you go, and you've done this for a very long time, so the weekly practice built this into it. When you are doing a trial, do you sketch something out, or do you just see it in your head and then go and start experimenting and playing with the, the, with the material, the headband, the flowers, the wire, the foliage?
1: Um, I generally will start with a sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm, it, it well it depends if I'm making one or two headpieces um, or three or four, um, I won't necessarily sketch, but when it's, you know, 75 or 25, I'll, I'll sketch so that there's some differentiality between things and mm-hmm. it's not, you know, I have some, I can sort of work with those sketches to then sort of build on collections. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, then at a certain point, the sketch just is, is a reference and you start wiring and gluing and, and a lot of it is an exploration and allowing the materials to really express themselves.
0: Mm hmm. Okay, so I'm going to follow up on that in a second. So when you do a test, like you're getting ready for your, your party of 75 or or your party of 25 and you, you know, a couple of weeks before start doing a, a mock-up of what it might be.
1: Oh, a test might just be like rip off a tulip pedal, leave it on the counter and see what happens.
0: So you don't make the whole thing and then walk around no. your house oh, and no, no, make no, no, dinner no, and stuff? No, 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 no.
1: Okay. A test, I mean, when I mean testing, I mean just like, um, you know, pulling pedals Wiring things, seeing if it lasts longer wired or out of, like in water, out of water. Mm-hmm. Um, certain orchids, um, if you, um, I've, I've wired the each petal individually, and if they're treated that way, they last longer out of water
0: mm-hmm.
1: than they do in water without any sort of treatment. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 How
1: I described that. But...
0: And so. You rarely make a whole test run headpiece before you are actually working on your final pieces. You just do
1: Never. I've never i I've never done a sample like let's try this out exactly because we're gonna remake this exact thing. So that, that's
0: and do you that's still my style. Do you still jump up and down with everyone to test them?
1: <laughs> that kinda got thrown out the window a long time ago.
0: <laughs> and the the selfies that you take with your with each of your headpieces, um, you you have this lovely and very funny persona of of being quite droll. Is is that something you have fun with every week or the weeks that you do it now?
1: You know that also. If you. If you pay, if you look closely at my eyes, what they what those are what they're saying is, do they get the picture? Do they capture it? <laughs> <laughs> and it's that seriousness is is sort of making sure that I look okay, the headpiece looks its best, you know my, you know the lighting is good. It's 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 that's that's what that focus is. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's a sort of a running, um, I guess, joke amongst some people that I. They're, they're waiting for a smile and <laughs> they can see a peek when they see a, a smile peeking through people get excited
0: they do i do as as one of your devoted instagram followers i do and um, they always make me smile if you're just joining us my guest today on cultivating place is josh werber co-founder of floral tete-a-tete a floral designer and educator His weekly practice designing a floral headpiece began as a challenge three years ago, and in the course of that time, the practice helped Josh find his center and the heart of his own work. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're back now after a break to hear more about the creative floral design path of Josh Werber and his floral tete à tete work. Welcome back. I know that they are each and every one of them striving to express an emotion or an experience or the, the kind of play that you've just gone through with the these materials that you might have in any image. Have you ever made one? sad?
1: You know, I'm not thinking about emotions while I'm making them Mm -hmm. necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think you can, you know, obviously my, you know, state of being comes through in the work. Mm -hmm. Um, In some ways, it's it's an escape from sadness. That exploration is a. There's a hopeful quality to it in the practice.
0: Yeah. When you look at the arc of your of your creativity in this stretch, this chapter of your life, however long it lasts into the future, I can see glimpses of how you've matured. You've talked about seeing your original headpieces, and as they grow you think, oh, no, these are these are the really good ones. And then you know, you're honing your, your skills and your learning curve for events and, and workshops. Do, do you see maturation in your own creativity and your own sort of identity with that work over time, Josh?
1: Absolutely. It was a very slow buildup in terms of, or what felt like a relatively slow buildup in terms of interest mm-hmm. and uh, exposure. And because of that, it allowed me to really, I guess, hone my craft. And because of that, I feel confident in my ability To make, I don't want to say make anything, but to make pretty much anything. And I mean, I still have anxiety about how it's going to, if it's going to happen and how it's going to work out. And, you know, but I, for the most part, I feel like I can, I can make what I want to make and that there's definitely a confidence in that, you know, it's, it's, I'm no longer faking it till I make it kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So it's grown you as much as you have grown it this creative expression
1: absolutely
0: yeah so i'm gonna i would love to end with with two more questions the first one is as you head into the holidays how are you putting this to work in in your own life um, and in your own sort of creative expression at home over over the winter holidays
1: Well, I've been doing. I have a holiday event coming up tomorrow, but that's, for myself, I, um, the headpieces. Um, I'm not sure there is necessarily a specific. I don't know if I do actually. Is, a, is the answer to, mm-hmm. to to that question?
0: So there is not sort of a home based version of of this kind of work that you do just for your own pleasure at home.
1: The, the weekly practice is, I would say, is that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and um, when I have, when I'm, I tr- um, I'm taking a maybe a little bit of a break from the practice at the moment. Mm-hmm. I, it, I go back and forth. Um, when I have, you know, I just did this event for 26 people on Monday, so I didn't feel the need to make a headpiece today. As part of that practice, I feel like I was covered, you know, I met that need, um, mm-hmm. giving myself the week off. Um, so, um, but in terms of, you know, like if, if I were to make something in this time of year, obviously the materials would be more reflective of the season. Mm-hmm.
0: And do you try, but I don't know if
1: that really answers your question like that. Well, Sorry, for that.
0: that's okay. Um, and do you <laughs> do you try to be seasonal in in especially your weekly practice? The work
1: is is always not, I wouldn't say always seasonal. The work tries. The work pays homage to the seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it is my own weekly practice, yes, it is one hundred percent seasonal. Um, but seasonal means different things in <laughs> in New York yes. at the flower market. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it could be what's in season in New Zealand. Um, but, um, but yes, no, there's definitely, I think because of my, um, my background as a gardener, I try to pay respect to nature. It's all about the seasons and what grows together. And I think what makes some of my work interesting is, is my knowledge of plants and how they grow and and the different stages of growth and you know how certain plants look different the the different sort of components of the different features and attributes of plants throughout Mm -hmm. the season of the same plant throughout the season yeah and i I bring that to to the work or i try to at least
0: and so i want to end with you thinking back over your your experience with this. And you have this private kind of weekly practice uh, that's more private with the, you know, building the piece and taking the photo and and that core of your work on Instagram and in images. But you also do quite a bit of out, outreach and, and workshops and, and play with other people and now these, these other kinds of bigger events. Is there Are there any anecdotes you could share with us or any stories you can share with us where this work you've been doing with other people and it has been particularly moving to you or them? When you see... So
1: very often at these dinners, the guests are people who take themselves kind of seriously and no one wants to be the first person to put the headpiece on. Hmm. No one wants to look uncool for that minute you know when they're the only one they're scared but then one person puts it on and then they take a picture and a couple people will take a picture of her or him and then slowly people will start putting it on and you see that facade of not wanting to be embarrassed you know that fear you you see that dissipate and it turns to people just having fun. Mm -hmm. And when you watch these very serious people having fun with your work, or when I watch these serious people having fun with my work, it is very satisfying.
0: Yeah. Because genuine joy is as contagious as repression and soberness, maybe.
1: I'm smiling right now. You can't, you
0: can't tell. <laughs> is there anything else you would like to add about the importance of this work to you and the joy you derive from it, Josh?
1: I think the one important part for me, and that I, and one thing that I love in teaching and sharing this work is showing people how to look at plants in a different way and looking at materials as the sum of their parts and that creative exploration and seeing that sort of inquis the inquiry start to buzz about. That's also really fun. Yeah. One, you know, one thing that I would, that maybe could um, expand upon is sort of like instead of having like a holiday practice per se because I don't really have one Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that this like sort of the idea of taking on a weekly practice
0: tell me about the importance of taking on a weekly practice to you and what you might tell other people
1: having a weekly practice was life changing for me holding yourself accountable and creating a space for yourself to produce whatever it may be. And then for me, it was putting it out there into the world. That was, that was a key part for me. And I think it's, it's, it doesn't always translate to every practice, but I think putting it out there into the world, this practice helped get me out of a a dark place. And it has opened so many doors for me that i would never have even imagined and i think that there's a tremendous amount of power in the consistency it's mm-hmm. all about consistency
0: yeah and w- would it be fair to say that it's not just about the consistency but it's it's almost a an a tangible version of baby steps that instead of holding out some idea for yourself of I'm going to be a successful floral designer in seven years, you instead start sort of where you are and create this, this small thing you can do every single week consistently consistently that then grows and 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 allows what you were kind of touching on earlier of you you get to see where it goes instead of being so prescriptive about where you think it's going to end up
1: absolutely i don't have a book to sell but if i did have a book it would be about a weekly practice if you make an arrangement a week then you have 52 arrangements at the end of the year and one of them has got to be good And if you do that consistently, if you make two arrangements a week, then you'll have at least two. I'm smiling again.
0: Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It was a lot of fun to have you. And I cannot wait for listeners to go look at the pictures and just have fun seeing them. And maybe contemplate making some of them themselves for the new year or take on a resolution of more genuine fun this year. Josh Werber is a floral designer and creative based in Brooklyn, New York. He is perhaps most well-known for his floral tete-a-tete adventures and images. Drawing from the natural world, Josh's work is an exploration of emotion through the act of creation. Designing provides him with the opportunity to intuitively trust, feel, and allow the plant material to guide its own creation. His work is driven by a desire to create environments through which people can experience transformation. In this last few weeks of Cultivating Place, especially in my podcast break commentary, I've been talking about our own individual intentions and resolutions as we go into a new circle around the sun on this planet of ours. Listeners have sent in some wonderful thoughts they have about this task, and I'm enjoying them all. They include things like to spend more time teaching and engaging with others in my garden, inviting friends and neighbors into the space in an effort to help them learn, grow, and further their appreciation, to find an appropriate place for and to plant a small fruit tree orchard. To get better about layering bulbs, annuals, perennials, shrubs. And finally, to spend more time engaging youth in the gardening impulse. But one resolution and intention really stopped me in my tracks, and it came from my friend, Sunday Cummins. Sunday is a literacy consultant and author. She has a doctorate of philosophy. She has her PhD from the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, and a master's of arts degree from Teachers College at Columbia University. She's worked in the public school system for many years as a teacher and as a literacy coach. Her very intentional books have titles like Nurturing Informed Thinking and Unpacking Complexity in Informational Texts. Her whole purpose in her work is to help students succeed and help educators and school districts succeed at helping students think well. Sunday lives with her husband, her daughter, and their cats in a lovely older home. And when Sunday's not traveling for work, she is at work in her office studio above their garage. To get to her work studio, Sunday travels from the back door and porch of their home across a corner of their garden. In the past three years, she and her family have renovated much of the garden to make it feel more like them, to make it more water-thrifty and artistic, to make it more inviting for family entertaining and fun. In regards to her garden intentions for the coming year, Sunday said to me, quite thoughtfully and a little wistfully, I want to enjoy my garden more this coming year. I'm sure I looked at her with a little confusion. But then she went on with this, I want to be able to go into my garden and sit or be, and I'm finding this difficult. There's always something to do, something needing doing. And this is what has me thinking about Sunday's desire to just be, and the work of Josh Werber helping us to see plants in a different way, as the sum of their parts, which can be fun, but which can also be deconstructed. And I know what Sunday means. As gardeners, I'm sure you all do too. Sometimes the garden is a hard taskmaster. Sometimes we forget to see the garden because we are doing the gardening. And for many of us, that is fun and enjoyment, until it isn't. And so I'm wondering from you all, how best do you enjoy your garden? Can you just be in your garden? And is this enjoyable? These answers will be different for everyone. We all come to the garden, and the garden comes to us for a million different reasons. Who among us has not gone to the garden to whisper prayers of hope, to celebrate or toast accomplishments, to rake or dig or vigorously weed away our anger, sadness, frustrations? Sometimes of an evening or an early morning, I will go to the garden with my coffee or water or wine— And while I might half-heartedly have a task or a book or newspaper to read, I really just want to be outside. I want to watch the light and feel the temperature on my skin. All of these to me are some face of the prism that is enjoying our gardens. And it leads me to asking you just this again. How do you enjoy your garden? Do you set aside time and space for being as well as doing I think it's a good question and awareness for us all. And while you're thinking about that, the Cultivating Place team here is wishing you the very best and most enjoyable garden wishes for the coming new year. Join us again next year and next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. To make your end-of-year tax-deductible contribution in support of Cultivating Place, follow the support links at the top right-hand corner of any page at cultivatingplace.com. As we look toward the end of the year, thank you to everyone who has so generously made contributions in support of You truly make this program possible, and we're looking forward to even more in 2019. Thank you. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Our engineer is Sky Schofield. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.